Greetings, family. Pastor Jeremy here. Uh, I want to welcome you to Bible study on our second week of our Advent sermon series, God's Story Delivered. Of course, we're still in the Advent season, which we recognize as a season of preparation and anticipation, preparation for the coming of the Christ child, but also for the second coming of Christ. And one way we prepare our hearts and our minds and our hands for action while we wait and anticipate is to search and study the scriptures together. So I want you to take some time and get a pen or a pencil and some paper to just to jot down or doodle um, about anything that strikes you as we move to explore the text together. In this particular sermon series, uh, we're looking at five women who helped to deliver God's story of love, joy, peace, and hope in scripture. Last week, uh, Pastor Jad talked to us about Eve and dispelled some commonly held misconceptions about her as a nuanced historical, literary, and theological figure. Today, we'll take a look at Sarah, a character who is complex and nuanced in her own right. Uh, she's a pious woman of God who is also proactive, uh, which will make more sense to us as we uh, move throughout the narrative. Uh, she's the wife of Abraham, who is considered the progenitor of uh, the religious traditions named for him, the Abrahamic traditions, including Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, making Sarah a key figure in those traditions as well. Uh, two of the most interesting themes uh, that we find in her story are those of agency and voice, uh, and we see how that changes for her also throughout the narrative. Uh, she's the mother of Isaac, uh, the one through whom God fulfills not only one promise, but many, uh, eventually including the coming of Jesus, which we anticipate in Advent. So before we get to our main passage for this week, uh, which I'll let you know is Genesis 18 verses 1 through 15, just so you can open your Bibles up to it. Uh, let's take a look at the journey that brings Sarah along with Abraham to this point. Um, the first place we see Sarah mentioned in scripture is in Genesis chapter 11 in the genealogy detailing the descendants of Terah, her father-in-law, Abraham's father. It's also important to note that at this point in the story, her name is still Sarai uh, and Abraham is still called Abram. Uh, it's also important to note that uh, we find out in chapter 11 that Sarai is not able to have children. Going back to the idea that this information is offered to us in the midst of a genealogy, it's notable to mention that genealogies are intentional literary tools in scripture. Uh, the particular function of this genealogy is to connect Abram and his family, along with Sarai, uh, to the story of Genesis so far. Reading it, uh, we learn that Abram and Sarai are connected to the story so far because they are descendants of Terah, uh, and because Terah is a descendant of Sham, who is a descendant of uh, Noah. This communicates that what's going on in this story is a continuation of what God has already been doing from the garden where we met Eve last week all the way to the land of uh, Naran where Terah dies. In chapter 12, God speaks to Abram telling him to leave that place, to leave Naran and go to an unknown land that God will show, would show him. Um, God show, says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. Uh, and through you, all families on earth will be blessed. We understand that this means through Sarai as well, uh, though she is not explicitly named here. And the details of how this will come to pass are unclear at this point in the story. Uh, so Abram and Sarai, along with their nephew Lot, take everything uh, that they have, along with all who will be considered members of their household. And they set out for this new land that God had promised to show them. 
eventually, as they travel, famine strikes the land and they head to Egypt. Um, as they were about to enter Egypt, Abram tells Sedai that because she is very beautiful, he fears that the Egyptians will kill him if they learn that uh, he is her husband. So she should say that she is his sister. Abram was right in his assertion that Sedai's beauty would be striking to the Egyptians, so much so that Pharaoh quickly took notice of her appearance, uh, mostly by the direction of his servants. And she was taken as one of his wives. Uh, during this time, Abram was adorned with many gifts on her behalf until the Lord begins to afflict Pharaoh uh, with plagues because he had taken another man's wife as his own. Abram says, uh, Abram and Sedai uh, are then sent away from the land. When, he, uh, when we think about the character's agency so far in the story, it doesn't really seem like she has any. She is kind of given by Abram in a way, taken by Pharaoh in like manner, and then given back to Abram. Skipping ahead to chapter 15, uh, God speaks to Abram again, telling him that uh, he would make him a great nation. Being well advanced in age at this point, along with Sedai, Abram responds telling him that he would make a slave born in his house uh, his heir. God responds telling him that uh, the promise to, to him will be fulfilled through biological offspring, and he makes a covenant with him. Now, chapter 16 is where things uh, change up a little bit. Uh, with, with all that information in mind, especially about the promise being fulfilled through biological offspring, we see in chapter 16, Sarai taking matters into her own hands for the first time, uh, which becomes a defining characteristic of her character. Uh, she instructs Abram to conceive a child with a young Egyptian slave in her possession named Hagar. Uh, some have colored this to be an act of faithlessness, but uh, this was a common and well-accepted practice at this time. God had also not yet revealed how the promise of descendants uh, would be fulfilled. Abram does this, but when Hagar becomes pregnant, she looks on Sedai with contempt, which angers her and causes Sedai to treat her harshly until she runs away. What's interesting here is the word used in uh, verse six that we translate as uh, oppressed or dealt with harshly, which is Anna. Uh, this is the same word that God uses just a few chapters uh, earlier to describe the future enslavement of the Israelites at the hands of the Egyptians. Uh, this word is also used in the first chapter of Exodus to describe the same thing. So. There's this interesting interconnectedness of enmity that's established between these two women, uh, where Hagar, ascending to the status of Abram's secondary wife, leans into the cultural praise uh, of pregnancy and shaming of childlessness that we see even still today in our culture. Uh, but she does this to harm and wound, said I, uh, Abraham's or Abram uh, still at this point, uh, his uh, primary wife. It is also noteworthy that Sarai is just as frustrated with Abram for failing to mediate this matter as she is with Hagar. As a result of this, Hagar ends up uh, having her own meeting with God in the desert where she's made her own promises. Uh, but we won't go that deep into that part of the story tonight. Uh, in chapter 17, God speaks to Abram again and promises to make a great nation of him. God also changes Abram's name to Abraham. Uh, Abraham, Abram having meant exalted father and Abraham meaning father of multitude. God also changes Sarai's name uh, to Sarah. 
Sarai meaning princess. And while Sarah is often also understood to mean princess, it could also mean a noble woman. But maybe what's more important uh, than the meanings of these names is the idea of God renaming these two people as a sign of covenant with them. Also notable here uh, is that this is the first time Sarah is explicitly included by name in God's promises. Uh, this indicates that Sarah was not just a beneficiary of these promises because of her connection to Abraham, uh, but was to be an active, intentional participant in this new covenant relationship with God herself. Uh, Abraham is also told by God that he and Sarah would have a son together. Uh, Abraham laughs and says, can a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Uh, can Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? But God reassures him that this will happen and that their son will be called Isaac, which literally means he laughs. So here we finally make it to chapter 18, where we find our text for today. And what's a Bible study without a little bit of Bible reading? Uh, I want for us to read this uh, together. But if you're unable at this moment, for whatever reason, I will read it aloud. Starting at verse one and ending at verse 15, the text reads, The Lord appeared to Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre while he sat at the entrance of his tent in the, heat, in the day's heat. He looked up and suddenly saw three men standing near him. As, one, uh, as, as soon as he saw them, he ran from his tent uh, entrance to greet them and bowed deeply. He said, sirs, if you would be so kind, don't pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, uh, brought so you may wash your feet and refresh yourselves under the tree. Let me offer you a little bread so uh, you will feel stronger. And after that, you may leave your servant and go on your way since you have visited your servant. They responded, fine, do just as you have said. So Abraham hurried to Sarah in his tent and said, hurry, need three seahs of uh, your finest flour and make some baked goods. Abraham brought uh, the cattle, took a healthy young calf and gave it to a young servant who prepared it quickly. Then Abraham took butter, milk, uh, and the calf that had been prepared and put the food in front of them and stood under the tree near them as they ate. They said to him, where's your wife, Sarah? And he said, right here in this tent. Then one of the men said, I will definitely return to you about uh, about this year, uh, this time next year. Then your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah, listening at the tent door behind him. Now, uh, Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, uh, Abraham and Sarah were both very old. Sarah was no longer menstruating. So Sarah laughed to herself, thinking, I'm no longer able to have children and my husband is old. The Lord said to Abraham, why does Sarah laugh and say, me, give birth at my age? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Uh, when I return to you about this time next year, Sarah will have a son. Sarah lied and said, I didn't laugh because she was frightened. But he said, no, you laughed, uh, which is kind of a funny way to end that little passage. God just saying, no, you laughed. Uh, so the first thing I want to do as we dig into this passage is to introduce a theological term. You might notice that uh, this passage begins with the Lord appeared to Abraham, but then goes on to talk about his encounter with these three strangers. Uh, only for the dots to be connected in verse 13, that one of these strangers was the Lord. The phenomena experienced by Abraham and Sarah here uh, is what we would call a theophany or a, physical, a visible representation of God's presence intended to communicate 
with humans. We often see this happen with humanoid forms, uh, but other times things get a little bit more creative. So think uh, Moses and the burning bush. Uh, what's interesting about the way that it appears here is that it departs from the almost formulaic way we see it uh, we see it happen uh, throughout scripture most of the time when you see the Afanes, uh the divine party introduces themselves or identifies themselves and offers a word of comfort like don't be afraid and then gives a promise or a prophecy here uh, we see a textual identification so uh, the author tells us that that uh, God is present there's no self-identification and there's no word of comfort there is, however, a divine promise or prophecy. Uh, also, the text does not indicate at what point Sarah and uh, Abraham realize that they're in the presence of the Lord. One possible cause for this deviation is that the text didn't originally center around the couple encountering God, uh, but came to do so in the editing process. Pastor Jad mentioned last week the Yahwist, Elohist, Deuteronomist and priestly sources and how uh, Genesis is a composite work, uh, which this text shows a lot of evidence of Yahweh's influence. It's likely that we get chapter 18 as a result of stories being merged. Um, as we have it, this text does a few things that the other texts where we see God presenting promises to uh, Abraham that they just don't do um, for the most part. Uh, it presents Sarah as being present for the first time during one of God's pronouncements. Uh, and though not directly spoken to, she is again mentioned as one through whom the promise of a child will be fulfilled. Uh, this may have something to do with the question God asks in chapter 13 and 14. Uh, when the promise of a child comes forth, Sarah laughs just as Abraham had done in chapter 17 uh, when, when God presented that information to him for the first time. Uh, when you think about the fact that hospitality is a huge theme in chapter 18 and those that follow, her laughter adds a bit of tension and drama to this scene, uh, further adding to that the fact that Sarah believes she is laughing in private uh, and can't be seen. The drama is amped up all the more when one of the strangers asks Abram or Abraham why she laughed. This understandably scared Sarah, uh, but what's really being asked here? Is this an indictment on Abraham for not having shared with Sarah the things that God told him would come to pass? Is God calling Sarah out, seeing her laughter as a posture of disbelief and lack of faith? Or was this a miraculous act intended to communicate to Sarah and Abraham that they were in the presence of the divine? Uh, there is much debate about this, but one thing that becomes clear here uh, that maybe is unclear in the rest of uh, this narrative uh, is that what Sarah says, does, and thinks matters. Yes, in general, but specifically to God. Uh, so when this promise of a son, uh, Isaac, whose name once again means he laughs, finally comes to pass in chapter 21, uh, we have these beautiful words from Sarah in her early 90s uh, in verse 6. She says, God has given me laughter. Everyone who hears about it will laugh with me. This now is the laughter of joy as opposed to the laughter of doubt or shock that we see in verse or chapter 18. And it also kind of mirrors the first promise that God uh, God issues to Abraham about how all, uh, all families on earth will be blessed uh, by him. Just like all those who hear Sarah's story of laughter and joy uh, will also laugh and have joy. 
So here we have it. Uh, Sarah, a woman who had the faith along with her husband to leave her homeland uh, to a completely unknown place that God would show them. A person who uses her agency to help move the plot of God's story along, although helping make it a little messier as well. A woman who experienced and overcame the undue shame many project on childless folks. And altogether, ultimately, a woman who laughs. Hey there, family. It's Pastor Jeremy here, along with Pastor Jen, Jad, and Melissa. And welcome to our Office Hours discussion. We have started our Advent Sermon Series, God's Story Delivered. And last week, we explored love delivered, and we talked about Eve. And we continue this week, uh, talked about joy delivered uh, with Sarah as our main character. And so we talked about Sarah. We're talking about uh, the woman God promised would be the mother of nations, the wife of Abraham, the mother of Isaac. And we want to explore how joy is wrapped up in all of that. So Mm -hmm. let's go ahead and talk, family. Sure. So who is Sarah is a a great question to start off with, because Mm -hmm. Sarah is, again, like Eve, one of those women in the Old Testament who uses the divine spark of creation and uses those free will and makes choices and she gets a bad rap by a lot of people i think personally i think she does yeah it's it's complicated you know it's it's a complicated story um it's a complicated setup to a story it's a complicated narrative overall i mean you're you're talking about the the patriarch and matriarch of multiple Mm -hmm. faiths you're talking about a story that um, is told in multiple different spaces with multiple different people. And so um, how it's told depends on who's telling it. There's there's um, a lot of questions about uh, motivation and choices and mm-hmm. how people are exercising their free will and where God's role in all of it is. Yeah. So it, it, there's a lot of things to untangle with Sarah. Yeah. I see. I see Sarah as someone of great strength um, and, and trust, trust in in at least in, initially in God and their relationship, because like she in, in chapter 12 of Genesis, you know, they move, they move far away from, from the only land they know. They leave Ur and they, they move over to Canaan. And um, so, I mean, initially my first thoughts are this is just a strong person who's willing to pull up stakes quite literally um, and, and, and move. And then as the narrative continues, there's, she's part of this promise and, and, uh, be willing to give herself to it mm-hmm. um, and and be willing to be a part of it. I see somebody of, of great strength um, and faith. Yeah. And great strength and faith because every time they go to someplace new, Abraham, so he, yeah. Abraham or Abram at the time mm-hmm. continues to like pawn her off as, right, right. oh, it's my uh, sister. Yeah, yeah, right, right. my and I mean, right. Pharaoh takes her in right, and right. as wife. And I mean, she just gets used as a pawn again and again and again. I see the um, whole like the Pharaoh thing that that's my sister. It just feels like uh, sitcom hijinks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they get in this weird trouble. But she's also, but. But she's Break also the fourth wall a and... super dynamic character, right? So mm-hmm. there are parts of the story where you where you question the motivation and kind of what's happening, but also there are parts of her story where you are cheering for her and super uh invested in, in uh, her perspective and what's happening to her. Um and I think that that 
really it's illustrates something about biblical cares, characters, but also humanity, and is that uh, our lives don't have to be a straight line, or you, uh, you don't have to agree with everything that someone does or says for them to be able to be used of God and to be a door uh, for others to be blessed through. So if we continue where we left off with Eve, that whole struggle that's birthed of free will, um, that struggle that we all have of are we creator or are we creating? I mean, I think that's what we see Sarah in. You know, Melissa, you said last week um, in the episode that it's a constant, Genesis is a constant retelling of that story again and again. And here we are. And here is a woman who shows what many of us do. Like there is a problem I'm supposed to be the mother of a nation. I am 90 years old. I had no longer have the physical ability to have a child myself. It has not happened. So I'm going to take matters into my own hand. I'm going to fix this. And I'm trying to do it according to what God has promised. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to take charge and fix this. And it, it it's that hope and that ingenuity and that I've got this, God, mm-hmm. let me handle it, which, that we all struggle with. Well, and when you put that up against where we started talking about Sarah and that she gets used as a pawn in so many places. Abram's not doing a good job. I'm going to handle this but, myself. But it's, it's a really fascinating picture of women in, in this yes. time of, mm. of women really being seen as objects, as property, as a means to an end, whether it's having children or whether it's the hijinks that we've determined for today's sitcom episode. But it's when you see these things where she decides to take things into her own hands, even if she even if you go, maybe she got it wrong, maybe she made the wrong choices. Mm -hmm. There's got to be something where you see that strength you were talking about, Jad, in Mm -hmm. a woman even going, you know what? I can I can do something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So so there's something about Mm -hmm. Sarah that she exercises agency in a time where her culture would tell her not to. So even when she maybe gets it wrong, if we want to if we want to say that she still is doing something that is so intrinsic to that spark of creation continuing the story helping Mm -hmm. to go you know there's something that needs to happen here and i could do that Mm -hmm. and that's powerful for a woman to do that right and and abram in in chapter 17 abraham he's become abraham by this point abraham in this moment interaction in 17 can't you just use can't you just use ishmael Mm. i mean Sarah's taking care of this. Mm-hmm. You know, I've slept with Hagar. We have Ishmael. Can't Lord, can it be just this? But what's beautiful, just like in the story with Eve, God's like, no, I've got, I've got a plan. And if you'll trust and if you'll wait, I'm, I'm going to fulfill that plan. I'm going to fulfill that promise. I don't leave you. I don't forsake you. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to work out this even beyond Sarah making her own way, um, which is that love, which moves us to 18, where God speaks to Abraham and these three people come, these three messengers, divine messengers come, and they have this conversation with Abraham. And and that's when we see that um, Abraham and Sarah are very old. Sarah, so Sarah laughed to herself. They say, you're going to have a son by next year. And Sarah laughed to herself thinking, I am no longer able to have children and my husband's old. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's just like, this This is crazy. This mm-hmm. is nuts. Mm-hmm. And the Lord then says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Me give birth at my age is anything too difficult for the Lord? Mm-hmm. What does that mean for you? And how does that connect to joy? That even when we've tried to fix it on our own and we've sort of mucked things up, 
that God still returns and says, is anything too impossible? I, I can, I've got this. Right. How is that a joyful thing? Well, I, I, I mean, I think in the cynical world we live in now, it's a lot of oh, could have, should have, would have. Oh, if I only would have known that that this would have happened this way, then I wouldn't have. Right. And there's all of this kind of um, second guessing that we can do. But but what I appreciate is, is that um, Sarah, she laughs, but then she lives within it. Um, OK, I, I went off on my own and did my own thing. And here you are, God blessing and continuing to be consistent and. I'll, I step back into it. And, you know, we talked last week about uh, consequences and things like she's willing to to stay back into that promise and into that um, blessing. Um, so I don't. I think I, the, the laughter with Sarah is just so poignant um, mm-hmm. that that element. And we see that with with Isaac, um, Isaac's name. But I think about in our own contexts where we choose to find joy. Um, I think about when we and many others were standing in a pouring down rain welcome hall a couple of yeah. weeks ago. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and the the flooding we were experiencing in there and just having to continue to move buckets around and having to continue to figure out what on earth are we doing and how are we going to, you know, get past this and overcome it and what does this mean and what are the implications in the moment. I think there were so many times, you know, Jen and you and I, I think a number of times yes. just looked at each other and said, you've just got to laugh. Yep. You've you've got to laugh. You've got to find joy, even in those moments where the future is unclear. Where where it, to to say everything's going to be fine in that moment is like, oh yeah, you're going to be the mother of nations at ninety. I think that it it just does not compute. It is not something that in that moment you could see how we're getting to the other side. But yeah. to be able to to know and have faith that God is with and God is in and God is around and God continues to do that. Yeah. I think there's there's a place of choosing joy in yeah. that, too. So. Yeah. Thank you, because that's where I, I lost my train of thought. I was like, wait, what am I talking about here? But that that there, <clears throat> instead of beating ourselves up or herself up, she lives within the blessing. And that that is joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think for me, as we talk about Sarah here. Um, I mean, that's something I need to take away and work on myself with because God's continually present. God's continually at work, like you said, like even through our flood um, and that I could beat myself up for doing my own thing and writing my own covenant and creating God as I want God to be. And then God shows up as God is. I can beat myself up over that or I can be joyful to remain within that blessing. So It really reminds me of Moses and just the idea of being in the presence of God and it just kind of be too overwhelming for a human being. And then I think about Sarah and I think about her laughter and it reminds me of a quote from this guy named uh, Pierre Cardin. He said, joy is the infallible evidence of God's presence. Mm-hmm. And so just thinking about mm-hmm. being faced with just this faithfulness and this promise of God, that's too big. It's just, it's overwhelming. Just right. like the literal quote unquote presence of God would be. And so what do you do? You laugh because mm-hmm. what else do you do with with something that big and that, I don't know, uncontainable? 
I, I, it's almost cheesy because I've just heard it so much, but it also is true. And especially in these things that happiness and joy are two different things, Mm -hmm. um, that happiness is a feeling that it's a little more saccharine. It's a little more Mm -hmm. circumstantial, but Mm -hmm. that joy comes from the Lord. Mm -hmm. Um, the joy of the Lord is our strength. All of those phrases are because there is something specific about joy Mm -hmm. that is different than our idea of happiness. And Mm -hmm. I think that's something that you see in, in here too, because it's, it, as you said, it's not like Sarah had this easy life where laughter came easily and everything just sort of worked out. They were nomads. They were moving all the time. They were pitching tents and living in deserts. And I, I mean, all of these, it's, it was a hard life. With this God that was brand new to them. Yes. Right. I mean, they, these these were the first since Adam and Eve that we hear that God has chosen them to be in relationship yes. with, um, which is really interesting. Like, like, what does it mean to follow one God? Mm, um, right. This was a whole new thing. And and for 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 her to be able to to go, oh, I thought I, I had it. And easily, I, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I found out in the last chapter, so to speak, <laughs> I was wrong. That's not how God wants. God still wants to use me. You know, God, God's not going to just turn turn me away. And, and leave me out is a beautiful thing. It is. And it, it follows that that idea that consequences and punishment are not the same thing mm-hmm. um, that we saw in the the first cre- the, the second creation story in our first podcast of this series. Mm-hmm. But it that that there the consequences of the events of the garden and the sending forth from the garden aren't necessarily a punishment for their actions, but the consequences of those actions. So it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of the mm-hmm. same thing for Sarah to realize, because that is a new theological concept that God wouldn't be a God of punishment, that God mm-hmm. would be a God mm-hmm. that was continuing to be faithful, right. even when there are, and, and they had to deal with the consequences of yeah, her choices. Did. That, mm-hmm. that, that didn't That's go away. Right. 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 Um, that doesn't go away. And yet her ability to, have God be faithful, continuing to, that God's promise didn't go away because of that. God didn't mm-hmm. remove God's promise. God didn't then punish her for it, mm-hmm. um, is, is powerful for her in that time. And I think powerful for us. Yeah. And and, I, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, there's just this fascinating little bit of dialogue after the Lord God says this in verse 15. That's exactly what I was going <laughs> to say. It's so, it's, you know, but Sarah denied saying, I did not laugh. Come on now. Um, for she was afraid. And that's that, that's that mm-hmm. our concept of God has been there's like, because Abram was a God maker, right? He made these vessels and images of gods and he encounters God and they go on this journey and they have this promise. And, and, and so she's afraid, like, no, <laughs> no, no, I didn't laugh. Right. <laughs> and then, and then he said, <laughs> but he said, no. You laughed. You laughed. <laughs> it's like, God's like, you can't get around this. You laughed, and that was funny, right? Exactly. Like, don't, don't, don't deny yeah. it. You laughed. Yeah. Which, again, what I don't, I don't think we always see throughout Scripture, it's women that not only continue to step up and keep the, as much as we, we give women in religion this secondary class, that's not the scripture in scripture women are the ones that step up and continue the message um which we're going to definitely see next week but also kind of like argue with the divine like are willing to go like toe to toe with the divine in many ways we see that with 
with um, we see that with Eve, we see that with Jesus and the woman at the well. I mean, there's that constant. We see that with Mary and Martha at mm-hmm. Lazarus, where yep. they're like, "Hey, yep. Jesus, if you had shown up," right. and we don't always see that. And it's always in the the light of day. We we've talked about that. Right. It's women in the light of day questioning God or kind of going toe-to-toe in conversation with God or Jesus. But it's men, when men do it, a lot of times it's at night, which (laughs) I just think is interesting. I think that's a fascinating thing in Scripture, a detail we don't always see, Mm -hmm. that again shows both the love of God's story for us, but also a sense of joy of, I can talk to this God and we're, we're okay. Right. I can be in relationship. Right. And I, I think for me, like you were saying, Melissa, happiness is, is fleeting. It's episodic. It's situational. But this concept of joy, which we really, you know, in, in modern ways of thinking, are, are, are very, they think of it the same. But being in the presence of God is that full joy. Is that is that. And I, I think that's part of what we're seeing here is she's able to be called out in a playful way. I mean, that's the way the text reads. Mm-hmm. Um there's an intimacy there. There's a, I'm not alone in this. And yeah. And, and I mean, who are the people you can call out? Usually they're the people you're the closest to. Mm-hmm. And so if, if joy is being close uh, in this close presence of the divine, it seems like, you know, the divine's calling her out and she's like, yeah, okay. You know, um, that there's, <laughs> there's, there's an intimacy there, this relationship. And that, that's, that's joyful. Mm-hmm. The whole part where that, that whole situation where she's like, I didn't laugh because she was afraid. It reminds me of the garden. You know what I mean? It reminds right. me of hiding because you're afraid. Mm-hmm. But also, like, as we follow this story, as we look at Eve, and now that we look at Sarah, the way God is dealing with Sarah here reminds me kind of a parent. It kind of, going back to that idea of that divine spark, it's kind of God saying, all right, you're creating, but did you think about this? Mm-hmm. Where are you going to stay? Where you going? You know what I mean? Right, like when, right. when a parent kind of talks to a child about going on a trip. Did you think about where you're going to stop for gas? You didn't. But see, now you ran out of gas. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's just interesting to see that because, uh, because like, once again, not necessarily punishment, but consequences, right? right, right. And it was like, did you think about this thing? And this is what it means to be a creator. And this is why I am the creator. Right. And you're learning what it means to use that divine spark and create as well. Which they're going to go to the next couple chapters because mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, you gave Hagar and Ishmael. I got to keep my promise to them and right, I will right. and I'm going to keep my promise to you and the consequences we still live out today mm-hmm. between that. Yeah. So um, as uh, as we finish up, I think about um, our lives right now. We're getting ready for Christmas and Christmas Eve and all the hustle and bustle and there's all that cliche of stop and pause. Remember the reason for the season. I, I think of Sarah and this joy and being the presence of God that um, I wonder how St. Lucas can find time this week to be present with the people they love and they're intimate with, that mm-hmm. their family, their children, and and be in the presence uh, of joy like Sarah. Mm-hmm. And not forget that yeah. nothing is impossible with God. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's awesome. We'll see y'all next week. Mm-hmm.